0: Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Today is the official start of tax season. That means it's the first day the IRS is accepting 2023 tax returns. It's also a good time for a reminder to begin filling out your return as early as possible. Tax officials and our guest today will tell you this increases your chance of an accurate return to avoid time-consuming hang-ups later. Also, there are a few new items to keep an eye out for this year as you fill out the forms. Stay tuned and get ready with your tax questions. We're back after the news.
1: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Over the weekend, the American Museum of Natural History in New York City closed two halls exhibiting indigenous cultures of North America, the Eastern Woodlands and Great Plains. The move comes after the Biden administration's recent updates to the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, which includes tribal consultation and consent for exhibition and research of artifacts. In a letter to museum staff from the museum's president, both halls are said to display artifacts that could require consent under the new regulations. The letter goes on to say the halls are severely outdated, and rather than covering or removing items, they're closing the halls. The museum is also covering seven cases located in various areas in the museum which display Native items. The museum says it will work with tribes and Native communities and will use this as a learning opportunity. A musician in New Mexico channels John Cage and his Navajo ancestors to honor those lost in the Long Walk. KSJD's Clark Adamitis has a story of a musical performance that will run for four and a half years.
2: Delbert Anderson is a jazz musician and composer in Farmington, New Mexico. Recently, Anderson launched a performance of a piece he calls The Long Walk. It's an abstract piece of music that lasts for four and a half years, but only includes 50 notes in total. There are months of musical silence between each note. The four-and-a-half-year-long piece represents the amount of time of the Long Walk of the Navajo, 1,674 days. That's the length of time Navajo people were forced from their homeland in the 1860s by the U.S. government. Um,
3: Thanks for coming out. My name is Delbert Anderson.
2: In December, Anderson gathers with community members and musicians at an art gallery in Farmington. The performance tonight is a single note played for a 30 second interval, a concert D.
4: And those of you who want to participate, you're welcome to sing the note as well. You can hold the note as long as you you want. Some people just do a simple bop, and that's it. And I'll talk about the.
2: On the long walk, more than 10,000 Navajo people were forced to march hundreds of miles to an internment camp in New Mexico. They were malnourished and weren't clothed properly. During some periods, 20 to 30 starved each week. These are the details performers and audience members consider in the moments before the note is played.
4: So, all righty, let's go ahead and get ready. One, two, three, and...
2: The musicians hold the D note as we reflect on a history that's more than 100 years old. Following the note, there's silence for some time.
3: Awesome.
2: When I played that concert uh, D on my trombone, I just felt echoes of like generations of, of ancestors. Sam Botter is a trombonist and a native Hawaiian who lives in Farmington. I really felt it in the silence after I played. I had to close my eyes and just kind of sit and think with it for a little bit. The 50th and final note will be performed on June 1st, 2028. In the intervening time, several dozen additional notes will be played. Between each of those notes, there are periods of silence, silence that reminds us what the Navajo people faced during their long walk. I'm Clark Ademaitis.
1: Pete Kaiser won the Cuscoquim 300 sled dog race over the weekend in Alaska. The Bethel Musher won the race for the eighth time. Kaiser and other Alaska Native mushers competed in the 300-mile race, which takes teams through Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta communities. This year is the 45th running of the race. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
0: National Native News is produced by Kwanic Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
5: Support by Vision Maker Media, envisioning a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. 45-plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org. Support by the American Indian College Fund, providing millions of dollars of scholarships to Native students every year. Applications are accepted through May 31st at collegefund.org or by phone at 800 766 fund
0: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The Internal Revenue Service begins accepting and processing individual federal tax returns today. Are you ready for tax season? At present, taxpayers filing basic federal returns aren't subject to any new tax changes this year in the law, although that could change if Congress approves an expansion of the child tax credit in the coming weeks. You can also expect a few slightly revised tax forms and the usual increases in amounts like the standard deduction and income limits for the earned income tax credit. Tax experts, like the folks we'll talk to today, recommend getting your income statements and other financial documents organized now in order to file your federal and state taxes before the April 15th filing deadline. And for people who are self-employed, gig workers, or business owners, there are some additional steps to pay attention to. If you have questions about filing taxes or any native specific tax issues you're curious about like reporting per capita dividends or income from an individual indian money account give us a call our phone number is 1-800-996-2848 that's also 1-800-99 native our first guest is on the line in bellingham washington sunny Gillery, she is the financial literacy coordinator at northwest indian college and a volunteer, volunteer income tax assistance site coordinator. She is Standing Rock Sue. Welcome back to the show, Sonny. Great to have you.
4: Hi, Sean. Thank you for having me this year.
0: Well, Sonny, it feels like I just got done filing last year's tax return and here it is already tax time again. Are you gearing up for a busy tax season this year?
4: Um, yes, every year, um, I feel like November we start making preparations. Um, one of the largest things that we try to do is uh, recruitment, a big push to get volunteers to come in and assist with whether it's being a greeter, which uh, we have like a front office staff person that will just make sure people are signing in, um, just uh, having them do like the intake form that each um, Taxpayer has to fill out once they get to the site and then we also have like our tax preparers and we have quality reviewers and so there's a whole process that we follow just to get ready for the tax season so as much time that we take to prepare the site I feel like every year um, it's just we it can be a little overwhelming just because there's so much that we have to fine tune before the first day that we open the site. So it can be a lot of work.
0: It sounds like it, a pretty involved process. And every year, you and your team, you need to get certified, right? You need to take a training so you're up to date on the current tax code?
4: Yes. And so um, since uh, we're considered uh, IRS-certified, um, I guess, a, a VITA site, which is a volunteer income tax-assisted site, And so the IRS provides us um, all the training materials that we need, and they also provide us the software. And so every year, um, once we fill out the form stating that we are willing, that we're gonna have a site and uh, we have to provide them the dates and times that we're gonna be open. And in that process, once we are confirmed or approved, and then we will receive the training material in the mail, which we, Um, every single volunteer has to go through like the volunteer standards of conduct training. And it's just the training um, to ensure that every taxpayer that comes to the door is receiving the same quality service. And the second part of a test, those that are actually going to be preparing returns, we um, do like an interview um, portion of the test. And then there's also the, they can decide to do either the. It's like an inter, intake interview and quality review, so that's like a second test. And then from there, um, they the preparers will either do a basic uh-huh. exam if they're just going to be doing basic returns. But I try to have encourage all of our preparers if they're comfortable to um, do the advanced level um, exam. And the reason why is there are some basic forms, there's like a simple form that might make a tax return considered advanced. And if everybody at our site was only certified at the basic, we would have to turn away tax preparers. We would I mean, taxpayers we wouldn't be able to do the return because okay. nobody would be certified to do the return.
0: Well, Sonny, if you could give us a, a simple example, if, if I could say so simple, but I mean, you have, Basic returns versus an advanced return, what type of issue would make it so that a person would need to fill out the advanced return as opposed to a basic one?
4: And so um, every tax preparer that comes in, and, and this is like where it's not, uh, there is a form that every single taxpayer, when they come to the site that they have to fill out, and it's a uh, Form 13614C. And on that form, there is a, just kind of the simple questions like a profile, you know, your information, and then it'll ask for your spouse's information. And then from that standpoint, we can determine if, okay, if this person has a spouse, it's gonna be a married filing joint, or if they're by themselves with dependents, then we might ask some follow-up questions. Uh, And then on pay, there's like a second page to the intake form and they go through all the list of incomes, like did you have a W-2? Yes. Did you have TIP income? And if they say yes to TIP income, that would be considered advanced. Okay. Um, did you have uh, scholarships? That's basic. And I'll tell you some of the more advanced stuff. It's like self-employment income, which you would find like on a 1099 NEC, which was more formally known as like the 1099 miscellaneous or mm. a 1099-K, and then uh cash check digital assets. Um some of those um if somebody came in with that type of income, obviously that would be advanced. And then So income, if somebody had
0: like Bitcoin income or something like that from cryptocurrency, that yes. would be a okay. Well it sounds like that would be advanced. In, in, you know, more and more in our Native communities, we have folks that are they're self-employed, folks that are gig workers and such, and seasonal uh, people that maybe do artwork and go to shows. Sounds like a lot of those folks then would qualify as advanced returns.
4: Yes. And so that's why at our site or at Northwest Indian College VITA site, we do our best to have all of our volunteers, if they feel comfortable, um, to take the advanced exam and so that way we have, uh, we're not turning away tax preparers because many of those taxpayers, I mean, we're not turning around tax, turning away taxpayers. Some of those taxpayers that we do turn away, or um, let's say if we had to turn them away, um, they would be paying, they talk about, I've paid $400, I paid $500 to a paid preparer to get my taxes done, where if we're uh, if we are at the advanced level and we do their tax return, it's for free. There's no charge or anything, you know, for the taxpayer. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's, I guess, one of the main reasons why we really do our best to have advanced preparers. And so we can meet all the needs for the community.
0: So that saves not just the taxpayer A lot of money, but also, I mean, the community, right? Because that just means a bigger refund Mm -hmm. that then those people can go out and support local businesses and things like that.
4: Yes, definitely. And that's one of the ideas is when I talk to families, I kind of just do a little, you know, if if we hadn't done their tax return in the past, um, usually once we enter the information in, um, it might pop up. Um, do you want to do a carryover from last year? Meaning if they did their taxes here last year, um, everything will self-populate if I say yes, like carry over the information from last year. Um, But if it doesn't prompt that, then I know more than likely they haven't done the return at our site. And so I will ask them like, oh, if you don't mind me asking, you know, where did you have your taxes done last year? And They might name a paid preparer or someplace that they did their return. And then I always just ask the follow-up question, like, um, on average, like, what have you paid in the past, you know, to a paid preparer? And anywhere between $200 and $300 is, I guess, the most common response. Mm -hmm. And so it's just amazing how much people are, you know, paying you know, paid preparer to do their returns. And oftentimes their tax return is very simple. I mean, they might have just a W-2, maybe some childcare expenses. Um, they might be a college student with some student expenses. And, you know, for the most part, that's uh, a simple return. But um, they'll go to a paid preparer and end up paying a lot of money out of pocket, just to have their taxes prepared.
0: Study my next question. Uh, I know you and your husband, you have a big family. Do you folks do your own taxes? Are you able to do your own return through your Vita site or, or do you go somewhere else?
4: For myself, um, before I even started doing work with the Vita site, I've always just used uh, like an online software. And so I prepare or we prepare our own taxes. And so what's kind of uh, Difficult is early on, like when I, we had the most basic tax return, I was going to a paid preparer just because I didn't want to, I guess, mess up or there's a little bit of a confidence, you know, I didn't feel confident in myself. And so it wasn't until I guess I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I looked at my return every year and I'm like, well, this seems simple enough. Let me just try it. And <laughs> Um, once I started doing my own return, I realized it just requires a lot more reading and being familiar with what is what qualifies and what I'm allowed to claim and what I'm not allowed to claim. And this is one of the things I would tell any family or taxpayer is that if you're going to prepare your own taxes, make sure that you have all your documents or, you know, all of your receipts or anything to substantiate, like your deductions. We're going to take a short
0: break and we'll come right back. If there's any good news about the problem of human trafficking, it's that people continue to work towards solutions. In California, at least one tribe says a new alert system in that state for missing Native Americans is making a difference. We'll get an update on efforts to combat trafficking in the next Native America calling.
5: Support for this program provided by Vision Maker Media, who envisions a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. Nurturing the next generation of storytellers with courage, generosity, creativity, respect and commitment 45 plus years of native stories and indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org whose slogan is together we are vision makers
0: thank you for listening to native america calling tax season kicks off today and we're talking with experts who have tips and suggestions for filing an accurate tax return do you get stressed about your taxes do you look forward to getting a big refund have you ever filed your own taxes? Join this conversation with a commoner question by calling 1-800-996-2848. Once again, that number 1-800-996-2848. And we have Sunny Guillory on the line. She is the Financial Literacy Coordinator at Northwest Indian College and also a Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Site Coordinator. And Sonny, before break, you were talking about how as you know, as a person gets older and and they start moving up the chain a little bit, maybe their taxes get a little bit more complicated. I know like when I first started becoming self employed, that was a little bit more complicated with my taxes. And then when I bought a house, that became a little bit more complicated. But it just kind of it's kind of an evolution and as you kind of grow and you kind of start making a little bit more money, your taxes change and you kind of adjust. So what can folks expect uh, this year? Typical taxpayers, uh, what should we be mindful of? Any changes, any updates, any issues going forward with this 2023 tax season that we should be mindful of?
4: Well, I was just um, kind of a follow-up before the break is um, what I try to encourage taxpayers is just um, to keep all of your records. So whether you're claiming childcare expenses, um, whether charitable donations, um, if you have student loan interest, um, any for teachers, say through K-12 through teachers, if they have expenses um, that they paid out of pocket for classroom supplies, um, anything higher ed, like a 1098-T showing expenses that you paid out of pocket for your higher education costs. Um, I always say, make sure you have those statements or the documentation um, and attach it to your tax your tax return once you're complete and it's printed. And the reason I encourage it is just, you know, sometimes if for some reason you get picked just for a audit or a quick review, which um, is not anything to be afraid of or it's not a scary process, sometimes it's just, they have to, like at the end of the day, I feel like when we do our returns, we have to make sure there's like a quality review process. So I, we have one volunteer who might do the return, but a second person has to review it just to make sure it is done accurately and correctly. And they're not missing any of the deductions that they might be eligible for, um, any of the credits that they might be eligible for. So we kind of do a quality review process, but I feel like with the IRS it's similar is they might also have to, you know, just do a little sample of taxpayers. just kind of, you know, to just make sure that everything's working in order, or if they might even have, um, they might want to just, you know, ask for, oh, just send us a copy of this, you know, Mm. you've claimed this on your, your taxes. And so if you have that documentation or that record, all you do is you follow the directions what the letter states, you send it in, submit it, and generally they'll respond back with a letter saying, you know, thank you for your correspondence or follow-up and um, your taxes, basically that it's been resolved. And so that's another thing that we see at the VITA site is we do have taxpayers who might get a letter from the IRS or might um, IRS might need more or additional supporting documentation and so we um, have an IRS uh, representative that we work with, and so usually I put a call into her just asking her, you know, so this is the letter, and she's like, okay, so what form, you know, what what is it exactly asking for, and then we'll have a conversation, but we let the taxpayer know that, oh, this is um, all they're asking, because the the letters, it can be a little intimidating. It's, It's very legal. It's
0: to the point. Yeah, um, I'll bet. I, th- I think most people, that's like their their biggest fear in a lot of ways is being audited. And you would think that you might be scared that it'd be some big formal process and you might have to go report to some office somewhere in some big city and meet with an auditor, or an accountant or something like that. But it sounds like uh, an audit or one, one of these reviews doesn't have to be that big a deal.
4: Yes. And it's um, it's one of those things that I feel like over time, um, because you know, with everything being done electronically now, I feel like there is uh, maybe an increase of um, identity theft or increase of you know, at some point, you know, you might have I'd say the taxpayer might have put like a red like a consumer alert or something on their. Um, attached to the social security number, just saying that, you know, Hey, I lost my social security card or I'm a victim of identity theft or whatever. And in those situations, um, the IRS will actually send them like a, a, a pin that they will use when they do their tax return. But I feel like it is very common and I don't want to say, you know, extremely common, but it's not uncommon where, um, if the IRS wants to confirm your identity or needs a little bit of extra information, um, actually, in some cases, I feel like it's a good thing. It's They're mm-hmm. just making sure protecting the uh, taxpayer's identity and pr- making sure, like, this really is Sean, you know, preparing <laughs> and submitting his return versus, um, hey, somebody got Sean's information Uh-oh. and I'm sending a return in his name. and. I'm getting an exuberant refund that's going to be put into this random bank account. Mm -hmm. And so I always tell them, you know, it's just making sure that everything matches up. And so it's not a scary process. It's just kind of going through it. Sunny,
0: let's talk a little bit about uh, the standard deduction versus itemizing. And I know a few years ago they raised the standard deduction amounts quite a bit, and it mean, meant a lot less people would be eligible or would need to itemize. They could just take the standard deduction. Are you seeing that there at your Vita set? Are you seeing more people over the last few years taking the standard deduction as opposed to itemizing?
4: I would say um, we have a lot more people, yes, definitely using the standard deduction because even with the itemized, um, you know, things that they might have been able to itemize in the past. They are no, I mean, the standard deduction is a lot higher than that threshold. So, I mean, you can still itemize, but if your itemized amount is less than the standard deduction, I mean, it's obvious you would want to do the standard deduction, but there's not a rule or anything else that says you have to. So, Just it's a just, lot easier, though. A lot less. Payer.
0: A lot easier. Yes. Right,
4: It is, yes, and you're going to get, yes, and then less of your money is going to be taxed. So um, with the standard deduction, they take your gross wages, and then the standard deduction is deducted from your gross wages. And then whatever that amount is, um, is usually what's taxed. And then, of course, like with higher, I mean, like your um, education, you know, interest income, there's certain things that might kind of lower um, what you, your income that you have to pay taxes on. But for the most part, yeah, everybody's doing standard deduction because mm-hmm. um, this year for like a married couple filing joint, the um, standard deduction is 27700 And I don't know many families that have that many itemized.
0: More than $27,000. Yeah. 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 That's a lot. So a
4: lot of them are going to fall lower than
0: that. Even for a homeowner, still, that's a, that's a high, a, a big number mm-hmm. of expenses. Sunny, let's go ahead and take our first caller of the day. Kelly, who is listening in Albuquerque on station KUNM. Kelly, hello. Thanks for calling in. And I understand you've got a question about casino wins and losses and their uh, taxability.
3: Yes, thank you for taking my call. I was curious how and when and if you can claim casino losses and how to report income and losses. That was one question. My second question for Native artists who are incorporated as a limited liability corporation, there's some new legislation coming out now because the IRS is finding that some of the LLCs not not necessarily artists, but they're being used to launder money. And so I think there's some forms now that we have to fill out if we're artists that address that issue.
0: Kelly, appreciate these questions here. Uh, Sonny. let's go ahead and start with the the casino wins and losses because I imagine you handle some uh, casino winnings there through your Vita site. Mm Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, so usually um, I would say, and this is where we were talking earlier about the, um, there might be a population, like say our older or elders, they may not have to file taxes if all they have is Social Security, but we do, like let's say they happen to win a jackpot, Um, they would have to file their taxes because of that W2G, and so um, and there's, there's a couple of school of thoughts on that. Some people um, will not have taxes withheld. They'll just take the full amount. And depending on each person, you know, either if you know you're gonna end up having to, I mean, if your income, I guess, is a little higher, um, it might be worth just having them just take 25% or take 20% and withhold it for federal taxes. And at the end of the year, you would just input the W2G is what the casino gives you. And once you have that form, you would enter it in on, as income. And then when you're entering in that W2G, it'll actually ask you like if you want to claim, um, you can claim it as a loss. And the only thing is you can your loss can only be up to what you want in jackpots so if you only want okay. two thousand in jackpots for the year but you receive a win- loss statement from the casino saying you lost seven thousand for the year um, you're only going to be able to claim the two thousand as a loss so it's only up to what you want in jackpots
0: okay um.
4: And usually, I mean, I always tell taxpayers, I mean, it just depends on their comfort level. But if if you have the taxes withheld from your jackpot winning and you file your taxes, I mean, at the end of the season, you may get it back. It just depends on many factors, you know, where your income's at. Um, you know, there's just a lot of factors to increase. To consider, but if you are going to consider a loss, it's having that win loss statement. That's why a lot of people um, encourage, you know, at least using your card when you play. And not everybody does like to use their card, but it's just one way to document or demonstrate if you're going to try to write it off as a loss. But yeah, that the,
0: makes a lot um, of that makes a lot of sense. So you can keep track. Because I'm thinking, like back in the day, you might have just walked into a casino with like a hundred dollars and put it in a machine and if you didn't have a card or anything, it'd be really hard to keep all those records. So with the player systems, that would help a lot, I would think.
4: And the the player system too, it's, um, there's so much, it's very, very complex because some, you know, some taxpayers come in and they're like, I, I didn't, I don't even feel like I lost that much money, but it says I lost this much. And it's, I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert in that area, you know, how they calculate your wins versus your loss. But I said, well, just think of it as you put $5 in and you might win a dollar on one spin, the next spin, you don't win anything. And it's like an up and down method. But at the end of the year, they take all of that, all of those wins and losses into their calculation. So it is really complex.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think of it that way.
4: That's why I'm like, it's just better just to get the win-loss statement from the casino because it's already all put on paper for you. (laughs) Well, it would be awesome to get a big jackpot
0: and have to, you know, (laughs) that'd be pretty exciting even (laughs) if you do have to pay some taxes on it. Uh, Sunny, let's talk about the second part of Kelly's question because she had uh, regarding artists and LLCs. Are you familiar with any new forms for people that do artwork or any new laws that are going to impact their taxes?
4: So I did write it down as something I need to take a closer look at. Um, there is, and i am is she from New Mexico? Is that the state she said she was from? And that yes. my other question would be, I'm not sure if that's like at the federal level or state level. And that's one of the areas that, you know, I always have to let, you know, taxpayers know that, you know, yes, the federal, it's the... I guess the tax laws are the same across the board, but when it comes to state tax laws, each state is different,
0: right.
4: and has um, and so it gets complicated at the state level. But I haven't heard anything just yet with the artist, and as it specifically relates to the LLC, and that might be something that you know would be a good topic or uh, discussion. You know, for future artists or even when you think about your shows, when you bring in different guests, because I just think of how many of our Native communities and our Native people, you know, we do support our local artists and they're very gifted and talented. And, you know, I'm always buying jewelry or beadwork or, you know, people do cedar weaving or carvings and, you know, it's beautiful work. But if this new legislation is set up to, um, you know, penalize them, you know, that's, you know, how is that fair? You know, and just mm-hmm. trying to figure out, you know, how could we help our Native American artists? um well, there's so many,
0: that. right, right, and there's so many, you know, folks that do artwork and other crafts work, and and sometimes I'll I'll talk to folks, and I think. It sounds like a lot of folks just, you know, they just make the money that they earn and then they, you know, just kind of take that money and maybe they report it or maybe they don't. But if people do report that income and then they keep track of their expenses, they can deduct a lot of their supplies and their materials and travel costs to shows and and it can be a real business for them, and they can use that to document their income as well as get the deductions for a lot of that equipment and supplies that they have to purchase. So for a lot of folks, it just makes a lot more sense if they're able to, to keep track of of their artwork and, and treat it like a business and, and pay the tax accordingly. So. We've got a really interesting show here today, and we're talking about taxes. We're learning about taxes with Sonny Guillory, who is at Northwest Indian College in Bellingham, Washington. And we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we will be talking with Luella Bryn, and she is also a VITA uh employee or vita volunteer excuse me she's a vita volunteer and she is with chief dull knife college extension office in lame deer montana so we're going to talk with luella when we come back and if anybody else has more questions or more concerns about taxes or maybe you do your own taxes and and you've got some insights or some tips to offer or maybe you've got kind of a, a tax horror story maybe at some point you had a problem with your taxes and it was kind of causing you stress and a little bit of anxiety And uh, if you'd like to share that story or maybe you've had a really good situation with your taxes and you'd love to tell that story as well. Maybe uh, one time you you got a great refund and big refund and you went out and and you used it wisely and you'd like to talk about that. So we are open for any conversation, any dialogue that our listeners would like to engage in with regard to tax filing season, which starts today, January 29th. So give us a call. 1-800-996-2848.
5: My precious relatives, Happy New Year. Now is a great time to start new habits that will keep you healthy. Eating right, getting plenty of exercise, and enough sleep are key to a healthy lifestyle. Talk with your health care provider about changes you can make to let your new year be one of your best years. For more information, contact your local Indian health care provider or visit healthcare.gov. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services.
0: You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce, and there is still time to join today's conversation about filing taxes. This might not be your favorite topic to discuss, but it is an important one, especially if you expect a nice refund. So give us a call with your tax questions at 1-800-996-2848. Let's bring Luella Brin into our conversation now. She is joining us from Crow Country in Southeast Montana. She has been a volunteer income tax preparer since 2016 with the Chief Dull Knife Extension Office's VITA program. She is Absaloga. Hello, Luella, and welcome back to our show.
3: Hey, it's good to be back.
0: Absolutely. Well, tax season kicking off today. And Luella, I've got a problem or a big question I've always been curious about. What's, What's a bigger problem? What's a bigger headache? If you file your taxes late, You miss the deadline, which is going to be April 15th for whatever reason, or you go ahead and just file the return and make the deadline, but it's not accurate and there are some mistakes and problems on it. Which is a bigger deal?
3: The bigger problem is making the mistakes. Okay. All Um, right. You would have to file an amended return. If you make mistakes, you'd have to file amended, and that's kind of a bigger headache than missing the deadline. Um, if you think you're going to miss the deadline, you can file by the deadline um, for an extension. And then that a, can buy you some time.
0: Okay. And that extension, how long does that generally go till? How long does it extend your deadline?
3: I believe you can get a 90-day extension on that. Um, it, and that can give you some extra time. I do know people who just don't file at all and then they'll just file the next year, they'll file two returns. Um, That comes with a penalty. Um, But for some people, that's just how they do it. Um, But you you can file a year late, two years late, I think up to four years late, four or five years late. I don't recommend doing that because there are um, penalties for that, like a cash penalty that you end up paying out of your return if you're getting a return. But if in the event you don't get a return, that's a fee that you'll have to pay out of pocket.
5: Mm. Yeah, yeah. But if you do
3: happen to, yeah, if you do happen to miss the deadline and you don't get your extension, and you're in a panic mode, um, you can still file. There's just a penalty to that. It's, All right. It's not. It's not like you can't file. You can still file even if you miss the deadline.
0: Luella. Um, So. Oh, yeah, go ahead. What are some of the most common tax questions that you hear from people who come into your VITA site there at Chief Dull College?
3: One of the most common questions is about who can claim the children. A lot of people have shared custody agreements where someone will have the kids in the summer and say someone will have the kids during the school year Um, who gets to claim the kids. Um, ideally, you would only claim your dependents the months that you have them, so if you only have your kids nine months out of the year, you would claim them for those particular nine months, and on the tax form, it actually has it broken down by month, where you can actually you know, check the box for the months that you have those children. And your your co-parent or the person who you're sharing custody with would check the boxes for the months that they have them. That's a conversation you should have before anyone files taxes. Okay. So that yeah, that no makes overlap.
0: Right. Because I've seen situations where two parents will both claim a dependent, a child, on their tax returns, and they'll both submit mm-hmm. them. And then that when that happens, how does the IRS handle it?
3: That would have to go to um, some mitigation, through mitigation steps, where um, either a custody agreement or a parenting plan would have to be presented. Um, And that's a long process, but whoever's in the wrong, depending on what the parenting plan says, would have to repay the IRS. And the parent who's in the right would get the refund, but it takes a long time. It's better to be open and honest and have those conversations before anyone files taxes.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. L- Luella, uh, we talked earlier with Sonny uh, about self-employment self-employed individuals and, and some of the unique tax situations apply that it might apply there. What tips or advice do you have for people who are self-employed with regard to their taxes?
3: If you are self-employed, it definitely helps if you keep track of every single expense that you have. Um, the best way to do that is to just keep like a running list throughout the different months of all of your supplies, um, mileage to business, um, so say you go to a art show, keep track of your mileage to the art show. If you um, go to different bazaars to sell your, um, sell your wares, keep track of the mileage for that. If you are buying thread, beads, needles, all of those are business expenses. If you use um, your phone for your business, keep track of your phone bill. Um, if you have a dedicated space in your house, keep track of the, um, the square footage of your dedicated space, because that's a, that's a cost that you, there's a formula where you can um, um, claim that, that cost.
0: The home office a deduction, right? First.
3: Yeah, the home office cost. Um, and your tax professional or your VITA volunteer can help you figure out that cost.
0: Okay. But as what long about... as you
3: have the square footage, you're good.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I know I've taken advantage of that credit in the past. And the the rule is, though, it cannot exceed more than 25% of the total square footage of your house. So you couldn't say, yeah. oh, you know, like, my whole house is my office or something like that. Yeah, percent yeah. I use my whole, my whole house except for my kitchen or something like that. It's within reason, right?
3: Yeah, it's within reason. And I've never come across anyone who's tried to claim more than 25% of their house. Mm-hmm.
0: Luella, what about for somebody who's retired? Maybe they're no longer working, but uh, maybe they're taking... Uh, IRA distributions, or maybe they've got social security income. What do our retiree listeners need to be mindful of this tax season?
3: They can still file, especially if they're getting taxes out of their social security. Um, more often than not, if they're especially if they're only social security and they're getting taxes taken out, oftentimes they get those taxes back. So if, especially if you're only social security income, Definitely file if you're getting taxes out because you're more than likely to get those taxes back. Um, And what a,
0: okay. Um.
3: Another another one is if you have kids who are working and you claim those kids on your taxes, your kids can file. Even if they've only made a couple thousand dollars, say they had a summer job, um, they can file and get everything that they paid in back. So like my kids had, paid twenty one dollars in taxes but she's going to get her twenty one dollars back
0: so you claim your daughter on your return as a dependent but yet she still files her own return for the wages for the taxes that are withheld from her own from her own job then is that is that how it works yeah
3: and there, there's a box on on the tax form that says asks if that person is can be claimed as a dependent your tax professional will just check that box just make sure you tell them that you claim them
0: when their taxes are being filed. And then Luella, this is an interesting topic because I know this happened to me. You know, I was a a kid all those years and and my mom would always claim me as a dependent. And then uh, even when I went to college, she was still claiming me as a dependent for a long time. But at what point do uh, most parents need to be mindful that they should no longer claim their children as dependents and their children should then be filing their own taxes?
3: As long as you provide more than half of the support for somebody, you can claim them as a dependent. Even if that person is a grown adult, if you're providing more than half of their support, you can claim them as a dependent. So if I had a grown child, you know, if say I had a 40-year-old son who wasn't working for the year and then he got a job the last two months out of the year, Mm-hmm. I could claim him as a dependent because I was paying all the bills in the house and he was living there and I was buying all the food and he needed stuff like, say he needed shoes and, you know, a new clothes for a job interview and, you know, all of this, all this stuff. He needed all this stuff and I'm the one supporting him. I can claim that person. Luella, and that's what a $500 a... credit.
0: That's a lot. Yeah. What yeah. about if you had, um, Let's say you have a child who's maybe 20 years old, and uh, they go to school away. Maybe they go somewhere out of state to school, so they're not home for, for most of the year. They're staying somewhere else, and um, and you're not paying tuition for your child. Maybe they've got a scholarship, or maybe they've got student loans, or maybe they work themselves. Uh, at that point, can a parent still claim them at all, or should they be that, that 20-year-old student living away should they be filing all their own taxes at that point
3: that's a um, conversation for your tax professional because there could be benefits to still claiming them and that student can still file their own taxes as well and okay. still be claimed as a dependent
4: right.
3: now if that student especially if they're making less than you know the six thousand five thousand I think it's 6,000 now the threshold to have to legally have to file if they're still making less than that it's probably beneficial for both you and the and the student to file together to claim them as a dependent um, but your tax professional would know and each each case is individual and each case is unique um, even if you're not paying tuition um, there might be benefits to that. Um, depending on whether you live in a, in a um, income-based apartment or a tax credit apartment, you might have to claim that student. Or if you have food stamps or cash assistance and that, that student can still be claimed on your household, you may still have to claim that student to get that benefit
0: okay so this some so it of these depends situations on your
3: individual yeah your your situation
0: right right so obviously in some situations uh you just don't know until you really sit down and crunch the numbers with somebody qualified such as yourself who really knows the tax code and, and can run them through the whole return and show them how this all plays out well let's talk a little bit about refunds because i think a lot of folks really count on a nice refund, uh, nice tax refund every year, especially during the spring to kind of get the year started. Um, now, back in the day, I remember we'd always get the refunds by check, but now with direct deposit, that's kind of streamlined. What do you recommend? Do you recommend people get refunds directly deposited into a bank account, or do you think sometimes it makes more sense to have a check mailed?
3: I, I recommend direct deposit. and You can direct deposit into more than one account, so if you wanted to, you could. I think you can do up to three accounts now. When I when I filed for my daughter and my son, um, the software recommend, could, allowed me to do up to three accounts. Um, so if you wanted to, say you claimed your your say you claimed your three kids and you got a nice refund and you're, you you want to give some of it to your kids, you could split it in between the three. Um, three different people. But it's faster. You get your money faster if you use direct deposit than you do if you want to check.
0: About how much faster, like for a typical taxpayer, let's say they file electronically, right? They e-file. And about how much time usually will it take for them to get that direct deposit then of a refund within two weeks?
3: If the system doesn't get bogged down, you're looking at two, two to four weeks. When, it, when people really start filing like mid-March to, end of, to the end of where the deadline is in April, that, that's when it starts to, to get to like up to six weeks to get a refund. But checks, you're looking at you know up to seven weeks to get a check.
0: And Luella, what do you recommend people do uh, to make the most of their tax
3: refund? I would recommend, and this is just me personally, putting um, most of your refund in your savings account or paying ahead on your utilities. Um, It's really, really tempting to put a down payment on a car if you're going to get a big refund, um, but we've all seen that the tax refund cars on the side of the road broke down or the tax refund cars in a few months getting repossessed because it's not regular income that's coming in. Um, your refund is, doesn't reflect your regular income, so there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to make that monthly payment. but. If you put it in your savings account and earmark that money for utilities, then you're going to have that money for your light bill. You're going to have that money for your gas bill. You're going to have that money for your phone bill. And your regular paycheck can go toward maybe going to the movie, maybe getting a little extra in groceries. Um, And you won't have to worry about the utilities.
0: Right, right. Get those necessities squared away, get the, mm-hmm. the uh, important stuff <laughs> taken care of, and then maybe have a little bit of fun money to play with later, maybe go out and do something nice. Luella, we're going to have to wrap up the show, but we got about another minute. Any other tax issues that we need to be mindful of this tax season before we wind up the show?
3: If you haven't saved your receipts, um. If you didn't save your receipts last year, start making it your habit this year. It makes a huge difference in what you can claim.
0: Hold on to those receipts. Keep good records. Um, Be proactive, sounds like. Uh, Get started on that tax return sooner rather than later. So, Luella Bryn, really appreciate you joining our show today along with Sunny Guillory to provide helpful tax information. And remember... This year, tax filing deadline falls on April 15th. Join us again tomorrow for a discussion about how a new California alert system for missing Native Americans is working, along with an update on other efforts to identify and prevent human trafficking. Hope you'll tune in. I'm Sean Spruce.
5: Support by the American Indian College Fund. The American Indian College Fund provides millions of dollars of scholarships to thousands of Native students every year. Tribal citizens of every age and experience are eligible. Scholarship applications are now open for the upcoming school year at collegefund.org. That's collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. Education is the answer.
3: OCO, Happy New Year. Now is a great time to start new habits that will keep you healthy. Eating right, getting plenty of exercise, and enough sleep are key to a healthy lifestyle. Talk with your health care provider about changes you can make to let the new year be one of your best years. For more information, contact your local Indian healthcare provider or visit healthcare.gov. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services.
0: Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico, by Quantic Broadcast Corporation, a Native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.